One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's been another fascinating 24 hours and the altered reality that is now our Brexit world. After the cringingly embarrassing developments in Luxembourg yesterday where Great Britain was represented by a gaggle of loud and foul-mouthed teachers and EU workers led by a Canadian opera singer in the style of the shop the Stop Brexit Brigade on College Green, they huffed and they puffed their way through Boris Johnson's visit and managed to show up not only themselves but the utter childishness and puerile attitude of the Ramonas and the rabble that they have become. And as if to make matters worse, we were then treated to the anti-Brexit ramblings of some bloke claiming to be the Prime Minister of Luxembourg, a tiny nation that personifies everything that's wrong with the European Union. It receives the most money and does the least for the Union. All in all, it was a pretty good day for Leavers and for Downing Street's campaign to get out. Together with Lib Dems' vow to reverse democracy, I'd say Dominic Cummings is definitely winning. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be finding out just what is happening at the Supreme Court this morning where they begin three days of procedural and legal debate over how this country is run. Will it be a victory for the Democrats or could the rich and privileged barrister set win the day? We won't find out for a while, but you can be sure there'll be plenty of posturing, there'll be plenty of demonstrating, there'll be plenty of uh, slogans shouted and there'll be plenty of people posing for the cameras. By the way, that Jolian bloke, the QC, who's bringing some of this action to the courts, has blocked me on Twitter. So it's another victory for me. Uh, also, we will be asking whether it's a good idea to let victims of crime challenge sentences they don't like. It's all happening between now and one o'clock, but we really, of course, want to hear from you. And you know the number, 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Democratic Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we've spent an awful lot of time going backwards and forwards about whether or not Boris Johnson has got any idea what he's doing, whether or not Boris Johnson was going to Europe yesterday with anything other than a view uh, to screw everything up, with anything other than a view to come back with the review that basically the Europeans don't want to help us. Well, I tell you what, Luxembourg walked straight into that particular trap because not only uh, were those complete idiots making so much noise, the Stop Brexit Brigade, shouting foul-mouthed slogans, calling Boris all sorts of four-letter words, making it impossible for him to be heard, so that when the Luxembourg Prime Minister, whose name I can't remember, decided that he couldn't move the press conference inside and then gave a rather petulant performance outside about how, this is not my choice! I did not choose this! Well, fine. 
Don't worry about it. Don't try and humiliate Britain. Don't try and humiliate the British Prime Minister because all that's going to do is drive even more people into the arms of Dominic Cummings and Downing Street and the Leave campaign. Do you get what I'm saying? Let's talk to Professor Tim Bale, who is, of course, Deputy Director of the UK in a Changing Europe. Tim, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, um, it seems to me that everything that happened in Luxembourg yesterday plays rather into the hands of those people who say, well, this is why we want to leave. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, clearly, you know, people who are convinced leavers uh, are going to see this, if you like, as sort of symbolic of the way that the EU treats the UK, you know, with a lack of respect and, uh, you know, not really wanting to listen to what the Prime Minister has to say. Of course, if you look on the other side, if you look at uh, the way that Remainers are looking at this, and particularly, obviously, the Remain supporting newspapers, you get a completely different take on it, which was Boris was fricked. Um, you know, he wasn't prepared to uh, stand up against a few hecklers and uh, try to withdraw, as it were, uh, hurt and uh, but that's the problem. But that's the problem for the Remainers, because it rather belies their actual motivation on this, because their motivation on this is not that this was actually not only an insult to Boris Johnson, but an actually a planned and set-out trap to be an insult to the whole of the United Kingdom, who have, by the way, voted to leave the European Union, regardless of what the Remainers and the Remainer newspapers want to say. And to say that he doesn't want to stand up to a few people making a bit of uh, heckling is a nonsense. It's like the guy, I mean, I've been down at College Green, as you have. It's like the guy with the loud hailer who rams stop Brexit down everybody's throat. You know, it's almost impossible to work in that situation without headphones and a microphone. You're certainly not going to be in, in any shape to do a press conference in front of that level of noise. No, but then, you know, you saw some people tweeting yesterday, you know, they'd worked with Margaret Thatcher and she'd, you know, stormed into a whole bunch of hecklers and given a press conference regardless. Yeah, you that know, was, a, so different, I mean, that was uh, a very different time, though, Tim, wasn't it? Oh, well, you could say it's a very different Prime Minister, couldn't you? You know, that she wasn't Frit, she was prepared to give it as good as she gets. And, That's the second uh, you time you've said Frit. Can you tell me why Frit has suddenly become a word now? <laughs> well, you've, now you've just used it twice in yeah, the last five minutes. I, I know, I use it because it was Margaret Thatcher's favourite word. It was the, the word that she used to use uh, for people who yeah, she but, thought, but, you know, yeah, but it's, but it's now, up. But it's now one of these words that people use, isn't it? It's now being used by politicians all over the it place is, as if they've just it discovered is, I it. I don't I wish agree. to put you down as somebody just trying to be trendy, Tim. Ah, it's not trendy. My God, that's not trendy. That's like 30, 40 years old now. No, I'll it's retro. No, it's retro. It's retro trendy. You know oh, what good. I mean? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Please good try to not to use it again. Now, tell me why you think uh, Boris Johnson is now in a worse position today than he was yesterday. Oh, no, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I think your analysis is right in terms of the kind of optics of it. Um, you know, it will give, I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of... Um, uh, feeling to, to uh, leavers that you know this is this is exactly the kind of behaviour they expect from the EU and, and it will make them more determined if you like to to get out. I think the interesting development now is you know this stuff that we're hearing about Boris Johnson, uh, you know, on the margins of the UN, um, you know, coming up. Uh, with yeah, this is next week. Right? That's right. Yeah, and I mean you know there there are rumours now that perhaps the DUP are. Uh, softening a little bit, um, which might allow him to get some kind of alternative to the Irish backstop as, as it's currently configured. And I mean, that's where the kind of serious negotiation, it seems to me, is taking place now. Yes, it does seem to be. Because it does, I mean, with, with, with all of the uh, the bluster and the nonsense and, and the kind of the, the grandstanding, it does look as though um, there is a movement towards an, another deal, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, it, it does. I mean, I think the alternative to the backstop as currently configured has always been, in some ways, an agreement to, um, you know, make the Irish backstop apply to, to the whole of Ireland rather than um, the UK as a whole. And, and once you, you manage to do that, I think you can get 
certainly the EU on board. You can get, I think, a fair few Conservative MPs on board. But the question in the end will, will, will come down to the parliamentary arithmetic. Even if Boris Johnson does manage to get this deal with the EU, can he get through Parliament? And, you know, I'm not sure the arithmetic is there, because if you're a Labour MP, um, you know, why are you going to vote to help Boris Johnson out, unless, of course, you're very worried about your Leave constituency. And there might be enough Labour MPs to do that. I'm not so sure, though. No, quite. And as far as the whole kind of um, uh, situation goes in the U United Nations, when that all happens and that all kicks off next week, I mean, is that more window dressing in a way? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the EU have been demanding, haven't they, that the, the UK come up with some sort of detailed, concrete proposals. And it does seem as if, you know, they're, they're nearly there um, in, in Downing Street on those. I mean, in the end, they will have to present some kind of text that the EU can, um, you know, bargain on, negotiate on and agree on. Um, and, you know, David Frost, who's the, the Sherpa, as it were, has been going to, to Brussels and, and talking. And we've, we've heard about, um, you know, negotiations or talks being intensified over the next week or so. So it could be that something's coming together. And in, in a way, you could argue that this was always Boris Johnson's plan, you know, to kind of leave it to the last minute, the, you know, 11.59, as it were, when deals are often done in the EU. Uh, and, and get it through um, then. The problem, as I say, is the parliamentary arithmetic and actually the parliamentary timetable, because I'm not entirely sure with prorogation, ironically enough, whether there's enough time to get it through by the 31st of October. So even if, even if a deal does come together and it's passed through the House of Commons, we might need a mini technical extension. Now, whether that breaks Boris, um, Boris Johnson's promise about 31st of October, I'll leave that one for you. Well, I mean, I think the EU has always said that they would grant an extension if it was simply to um, yeah. uh, to, yeah. to enable an agreement to be done, yeah. uh, because yeah, there wasn't I, quite enough time for the agreement to be yeah, done. Yeah, quite. And then the, the question then is whether, you know, that, that satisfies leavers. You yeah. know, Boris said we'd be out by the 31st right. if we're if we're out by the 15th of November, is that just as good, I suspect, for most leavers and maybe even for a lot of voters? That sure. would be. And, I mean, of course, that was Jeremy Hunt's line as well. Just before we move yeah, on to Michael, uh, Michael Heaver, who's Brexit Party MEP, who's going to talk to us in a moment, let me just ask you one final question, Tim. Yeah. You're down at Lib Dem Conference in Bournemouth. Boris must be pretty happy uh, with Joe Swinson's new policy to completely and utterly prorogue democracy forever. <laughs> well, he might be, but certainly the Lib Dems themselves seem to be quite happy with it. There's a little bit of, um, you know, dissent on a little bit of concern on it, but as far as they see it, I think they see it as a kind of heat-seeking missile that's going to identify all the voters that they really need to win a few more seats. So yeah, well, not just a few people. more, they need to win about 250 more, I think you'll find. So, yeah, I'm uh, not quite sure they're going to get there. <laughs> uh, I don't think they are, but Professor Tim Bell down at Party Conference, thank you very much indeed. We'll be talking later to Dr Philip Lee, uh, who's down there, who's now a Lib Dem, of course. He used to be a Conservative, but guess what? The Lib Dems are all accusing him of being a homophobe uh, because he voted against same-sex marriage. Let's talk to Michael Heaver, who is Brexit Party MEP for the East of England. Michael, nice to talk to you. Very good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. I've just been reading about the Panama Papers and how Luxembourg uh, is one of the most important parts of the world if you wish to hide money from people. So I find it quite remarkable that the old Remainers and Guardian types are celebrating the fact that the Prime Minister of this tiny little tax haven uh, has given us a going over in public. Yeah, pretty disgusting, isn't it? And I've, we've seen this consistently. Remainers sort of cheering on the EU side uh, every turn, you know, flying the EU flag and, and cheering on the disrespect of our UK Prime Minister. And as Nigel Farage and others have done in the past, you know, whether it's Theresa May or Boris Johnson, these people are the UK Prime Minister. And frankly, this disrespect is, is, is you know, it, it sums up why we need to leave the European Union. And it also sums up, I'm afraid, why we need to stop playing the EU's game, walk into these ridiculous traps and just leave 
at the end of October with no deal. Yeah, I mean, it seems a ridiculous situation, although my, my, sort of, my slightly Machiavellian uh, side believes that this was all done and played out by Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson. They sort of knew something like this might happen, and I think they've come out of it well, actually looking all right. Yeah, I mean, look, it shows you the, the, the sort of a pathetic approach we're seeing from the EU side, and I do get that. And I, look, as I say, I think whatever you think of Boris Johnson, whatever else, I think the sight of them empty chairing him and having that baying mob outside, it's puerile, it's infantile, yeah. it's very, very low, it's very, very low grade. But my message at the same time is, how many more times are we going to be soft with the EU? Are we going to let them to, allow them to do us over, to mug us off, to disrespect us, before actually we just say, enough's enough, we're not interested, we're leaving, no deal, bye-bye. Yeah, because I saw one of your fellow MEPs put out a tweet, I think, a few days ago, saying that it's uh, interesting to see um, that over 30 hours of debating time has been set aside for uh, something or other in the European Parliament, but the Brexit party has only got a minute of it or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, very very little speaking time. I mean, a few of my colleagues are going to get to speak tomorrow. I'm actually going to get to speak tomorrow. Do you know how much time I get in the European Parliament? I get all of 60 seconds. Isn't that marvellous? 60 what seconds? I get 60 seconds, aren't I a lucky boy, eh, to talk about the EU budget? And this is really what the European Parliament's about. It's a complete big leap of democracy. It's a complete joke. That's why the Brexit party's here, to get us out and make sure that we do leave at the end of October, that it doesn't carry on any longer. I mean, the mere fact I'm here anyway, don't forget, is a complete joke when the people voted to leave in 2016 and we had European elections. But, you know, it just shows you what sort of place this is. Everyone gets, you know, their occasional minute... And, uh, frankly, it just sums up why we need to leave. So, and, I th and I think this is why Boris Johnson becoming Prime Minister has been a good thing overall. I know that you guys have kind of got mixed feelings about whether he's going to be successful at what, what the public wants him to do. But, you know, we're seeing the, the scales being lifted from our eyes, as it were. You know, we've seen the Remainers who say they want to stop a no-deal Brexit really revealing themselves as wanting to stop Brexit altogether. We've seen the Lib Dems now coming out and cool. saying that basically, yeah. you know, they will not honour a second referendum if it votes to leave. And now if they were to ever become uh, the, the, the government, which of course we all know they won't, um, they would just revoke Article 50 and kill Brexit off. And I tell you what, when I go around the, where I live in, in the streets of Essex on the PPC for Castle Point, when you speak to people, the fact that you've got this situation now where politicians are saying the biggest democratic mandate in the history of our country, we're just going to rip it up. We ain't interested. Right. We don't want to know. And when, I, when people come up to me and say, Michael, you know, what's the point in voting they don't care? I turn around and say, yeah, you're right. A lot of them don't give a monkey's what you think. That's been completely demonstrated by the referendum result. And that's why we need to sweep this lot out of Westminster, a new load of MPs that are actually willing to stand up for the pro-Brexit majority. And I think that, you know, the Lib Dems and others, their disgraceful behaviour in Parliament, the way they've acted like complete children, has undermined faith, trust and credibility in our democratic system itself. That's what I'm so worried about at the moment. I'm getting people come up to me saying, look, I went out and voted for the referendum. What's the point of voting if it's the result and isn't implemented? Mm. So that's well, what the Brexit party's doing to make damn sure that it does matter and that it is implemented. Well, as some wag pointed out on Twitter this morning, surely by the Lib Dems' uh, logic, if they were to have the biggest majority to form a government, uh, you would just revoke that on the basis that you don't believe in oh, democracy. Yeah. So what, what gives you the right to run the country? Well, the argument that they throw out as well, the whole second referendum or revoking or whatever, is they say, oh, no, you can't. If we have another vote, then that's democratic. But on that, the Lib Dem logic is that every year you would have another vote to ignore the previous year's vote, and thus nothing ever changes. That's basically what they're advocating. It's anti-democratic. It's bonkers. I hope this lot are swept away. The Brexit party is doing everything we can to make sure that that's the case. And, hey, look, politics is incredibly volatile at the moment because we've seen the people ignored 
for years in a way that is unprecedented. And I think when the general election happens, and it is going to happen eventually, I believe, you know, quite soon, you are going to see uh, an election like never before. Because I think, you know, when I'm out on the streets of Essex and Castle Point, you can feel it on the streets. Yeah. People really oh, definitely. Well, I can really feel it feedback. doing, I can feel it, Michael, doing this show every day and the sort of anger yeah, that people yeah, yeah. feel and the sort of uh, disappointment that people feel. And they're not just going to let yeah. this go. And I'm urging no, anyone no, no. who says to me, I don't feel like voting, to make sure that you do vote precisely for that reason. Yeah. Because the, the, best, yeah. the, the last thing they want is for people to vote. They want fewer and fewer people to vote so that they can continue yeah. to derail democracy. But I also think, and I don't know if this is absolutely true in terms of a record, but I can't remember a time when we've had so many many MPs in Westminster who are standing on benches that they were not elected to stand on, i.e. people who have changed party <laughs> and refused to yeah. have a by-election. It's like musical chairs, isn't it? Yeah. They're for a bunch of losers. You know, they're just they're sort of dishing them around, you know, three, four parties at a time, jumping all over the place. Look, this is the point, right? What Brexit has done is it has shown ultimately that the current system and those in our parliament are not fit for purpose, right? They ultimately do not care. A lot of them simply are willing to ignore their referendum man mandate. A lot of them are willing to change parties without holding the honourable thing and holding a by-election. As I said, the thing I'm worried about is I get two sets of people come up. I get a set that come up and say, look, we're really up to this now. We're more determined than ever. And I get you know, other people saying, actually, I've, I've given up. I've had enough. I'm not going to vote again. And those are the people I'm saying, actually, look, with the Brexit party, we're giving people hope again. We're giving people a way out of this. We're giving people an alternative. Because you can make damn sure we're not going to sell out, we're not going to go soft, we are not going to stand for this anymore. You're absolutely right. Michael, thanks very much indeed. Michael Heaver there, Brexit Party MEP for the East of England. Here's a little piece of information for you uh, about Luxembourg, right? This is from the Panama Papers. I'm indebted to Pablo for sending me this in. This is a story in Newsweek, right? Luxembourg remains a centre of lax financial regulation, and yet it is one of the world's most important financial centres. Luxembourg is the most important private banking and wealth management centre in the Eurozone, with 143 banks holding nearly $800 billion in assets of of which over $300 billion is in the secretive private banking sector. Now, can you imagine anything that The Guardian would hate more than that? But yet, this morning, The Guardian is banging a drum for Luxembourg, a secretive tax haven that harbours money for the very wealthiest people in the entire world. The people, by the way, who The Guardian are always having a go at. The people of privilege. The people like David Cameron, who should never have felt, apparently, any real grief for the death of his son because he was privileged. The Guardian champions the underprivileged. But here it is, championing Luxembourg and the bankers and the secret wealth providers and the people who hide their money from the tax man. Isn't that ironic? This is Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are here with you all the way through until one o'clock. We want to hear your voice because this is the place to get your voice heard because this is the only place on the radio dial at this particular time uh, when you can get full democracy and nothing but the truth. 0344 499 1000. You won't get it uh, anywhere else. We've got this morning uh, the excitement. Uh, and I tell you, uh, I can't tell you that I share the excitement. The excitement of 
court hearings beginning down at the Supreme Court over two appeals over the parliamentary suspension, the prorogation by Boris Johnson. Let's just go over there now and find out how interesting it is. ...which arise on these appeals. May I please identify these issues and then uh, develop my submissions on each of them? Uh, the first of them is we say on the facts that the Prime Minister advised Her Majesty uh, to prorogue Parliament for a period as long as five weeks because he, the Prime Minister, wished to avoid what he saw as the risk that Parliament during that period would take action to frustrate or to damage the policies of his government. And on this first issue, we will adopt the substance of the reasoning of the inner house of the Court of Session and briefly add some further points, in particular on the relevance of the failure of the Prime Minister to produce a witness statement, either by himself or by the Cabinet Secretary, uh, responding uh, to the allegations as to his motive. I'm sorry. Sorry, I just fell asleep there while I was listening to that. Um, I'm sorry, I'm back with you now because, uh, you know, democracy is a very slow process. That, of course, uh, I can only assume uh, without realising precisely who uh, that is and what his name is, is a, a lawyer uh, for the case against Boris Johnson. It's like watching... Do you remember that show Crown Court they used to have in the afternoons? Um, it just went on and on and on and on. Apparently, live for the Supreme Court today, there are 11 judges, eight male, three female. I'm surprised that um, the Guardian hasn't got up in arms about that. I mean, why is it not 4-4? Four, four? Or in fact, why are they not all of indeterminate gender? Surely we can't have eight men and three women deciding such an important issue? They're all sitting there, uh, only the second time apparently in the Supreme Court's 10-year history that as many as 11 judges have actually sat there. Why have they got 11 judges? I can see in the background Gina Miller, uh, a woman who's got nothing better to do than spend three days in the Supreme Court uh, listening to all of that drivel. Can you imagine anything worse? Do they not know what the people of this country want? Oh, it's Gina Miller's lawyer, this bloke talking. His name is Lord Panic. <laughs> what a great name. Don't panic! Maybe we should talk to our man uh, who's down there, Ollie Cole. He's outside the Supreme Court for us here at Talk Radio. Ollie, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I bet it's much more interesting outside the court than it is inside. Oh, well, as you were saying, these things are never going to be blockbusters, are they? But uh, outside uh, the Supreme Court, uh, we do have a sort of a gaggle of protesters from both sides at the minute. They're kind of just sort of shouting at each other about Brexit, and which has been happening for the last uh, three years, this kind of shouting. Uh, and, of course, a big gang of the media as well. And people are sort of strolling past and, and showing an interest. There has been a real big public interest in this case. I've, I've never seen it. I was speaking to some of the staff in the Supreme Court this morning. There was a queue around the corner of the Supreme Court to get into the public viewing gallery from at least 9am when I rocked Right, and are they all waving European flags, these people? Um, I can't see any EU flags, actually. I can see some uh, Union Jacks. Because uh, the, last time, there was, the last time there was an event in the Queen Elizabeth Hall, uh, that entire square was completely covered in EU flags. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking across now. It's mostly, I think it's mostly Union Jacks that I can see, uh, okay. sort of on both sides. But, Maybe there's uh, been a takeover. <laughs> potentially, yes. Yeah. I mean, it is incredible, isn't it, when you think of what is now going on and how much arguing is going to take place uh, over something which has already happened. And even if 
we get to day three of this hearing, which I assume we will on Thursday, there's no guarantee that there will be a decision made before the beginning of next week, perhaps the middle of next week, at which point I don't understand how reversing the prorogation is going to make any difference because the time has already been used up. So that's the thing. I think, I think the wording of uh, what is said in the ruling is quite important and whether that gets uh, sort of enacted is important as well. As we saw from the Court of Session in Scotland, they said that the, uh, the prorogation was unlawful and they said that in such case, uh, basically, Parliament is still sitting. But they haven't actually forced that order upon Parliament. So there's actually no sort of pressure for MPs to uh, all race back from their conferences and their, their constituencies yet. And that may very well be the case here. I know n- number 10 aren't expecting uh, any kind of decision until sort of Friday, maybe even Monday, yeah. at which point we're into, well, we've got Lib Dem conference finishing uh, this week, we've got Labour and then the Conservative conference as well. So it will be interesting whether you know, this case actually has any bearing on whether MPs come flocking back or not. Yeah, and as far as the actual event is concerned, because I'm calling it an event, because you might as well be, (laughs) you know, following on from the cricket season ending, we've now got the legal season starting up. I mean, what's the day look like? Do they break for lunch? Do they break for tea? How does it work? Uh, So there will be a a, a break for lunch, yeah. Uh, They'll be going through until, uh, well, sort of into the early evening, five, six o'clock for day one and day two, day three uh, uh, subsequently. Uh, We've got, uh, as you were just playing out uh, earlier, we've got Gina Miller up this morning. And that, of course, is to do with the High Court ruling uh, for for England and Wales. And that is focused on whether... It is actually up to judges to decide this uh, this point or whether it's purely politics at play. This afternoon, we're expecting uh, to hear Joanna Cherry QC MP's case. Uh, that's the one that was heard at the Court of Session in Scotland. And then tomorrow, we'll hear those responses from, uh, from the government and the Attorney General. And then on Thursday, some interventions, uh, most notably probably from uh, former Prime Minister John Major. Yes, it's going to be a fascinating few days. However, we will not be, you'll be pleased to know, bringing everybody all of it, uh, Ollie, because it will bore them to tears. Thank you very much <laughs> indeed. Uh, Ollie Cole outside of the Supreme Court, where um, an unprecedented, practically, number of judges, 11 judges are sitting, listening to, at the moment, Lord Panic. I love saying that. Lord Panic comes to the stand. He is apparently Gina Miller's uh, lawyer. Uh, he will be very highly paid. We're not quite sure how much he gets. Uh, we, of course, found out that yet another case uh, that was being uh, foisted upon uh, the hapless public to try and stop democracy uh, was landed only just the other day um, by uh, our good friend, the eco-businessman, uh, of course, who we had on the show on Friday, um, Dale, who said, uh, who is still in touch and uh, who's going to keep us informed of everything that happens because we've got the Northern Irish case, uh, which apparently ruled that, of course, Boris Johnson and the strategy that was being used by the government over Brexit is not in any way going to harm the Irish peace process and is certainly not in any way unconstitutional. Uh, We've had Gina Miller's case already thrown out by the High Court in this country. She claimed that that was not a loss because it's gone to the Appeal Court, which is what we're hearing today. Of course, also, uh, we've got uh, the Dale Vince case, uh, which has not come yet to this Supreme Court, but may well be conjoined uh, later on uh, because we've got the Edinburgh Court up in Scotland uh, basically still hearing that as far as we know. I think they've given the, the government until next Thursday to answer that particular uh, prorogued um, lawsuit, which is basically saying that they want to stop Boris Johnson, take out an injunction against him from leaving the European Union without a deal on October the 31st. It's all very confusing and it's all completely and utterly undemocratic. That's the point. The people have already voted. We've already left the European Union. Have we? Why haven't we? 
0344 499 1000. And we'll hear more from Lord Paddock coming up a little bit later on. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Heartbeat, why do you miss when my baby kisses me? Heartbeat, why does a love kiss stay in my memory? Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. Johnny sends a very uh, pertinent uh, tweet. He says, he says, who foots the bill for this court case? Presumably the government will have their own lawyers, who I assume don't come cheap. Poor old taxpayer, I'm guessing, footing a large chunk of the expense. No question about that, Johnny, because we'll have to pay uh, for the session, of course. The Supreme Court doesn't come cheap. Uh, 11 judges are going to be sitting there for three days minimum, uh, listening to all of the various bits of evidence being brought forward uh, and the plea bargaining and everything else that goes on. Certainly, um, the people who are petitioning against the government uh, are funded by uh, independent means, and we certainly know who some of those people are. Um, but we will be paying for the lawyers representing the government, no question at all. This will run into tens uh, of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds, all because the Remainers can't accept that they actually lost the referendum. It is mad. We're going to take a little step away from politics, though, for the moment. Let's talk uh, to Vanessa Smith, senior cardiac nurse at the British Heart Foundation, because an extraordinary story has come our way uh, by Dr Asim Malhotra, who's basically saying that statins, which are the most widely prescribed drugs in the UK, uh, estimated to be around about 6 million people on statins, and we see signs all the time uh, from the NHS saying, take statins, they will save your life. He's saying a mass prescription of statins is, in fact, a public health disaster fueled by the cholesterol con so let's ask vanessa if she agrees with him if he's right and if so what should we do about it vanessa very good morning morning is he right um no he's not right um we know statins save lives there is hundreds of papers and research out there that proves they are highly beneficial um at reducing your risk of having a heart attack or stroke and for those who may have had a heart attack or stroke already they will prevent you from having further attacks that's the NHS's line, though, isn't it? He's saying the NHS are wrong about that. Yeah, well, he's um, quite a controversial man is who, is, who has said quite a few things about statin. What else has he said? Why, 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 does, why do you think he's so anti-statin, then? That I do not know, but I can only speak for what I know about statins and what we know from the NHS and from NICE guidelines and from research that not just us at the BHF has funded, but across the world, that statins are benefit, sorry, beneficial. Right. Um, the NHS says one in ten people suffer mild side effects, but he says that there can be some really, really bad side effects. I mean, are there bad side effects? There can be for some people. Um, the side effects vary from person to person. Um, we have research out there, and there's lots of research that proves that for most people, the side effects are very minimum, and it's very rare to have these side effects. Um, it's something that has come under quite a lot of debate throughout the media over the last few years, and it's something that needs to be discussed on an individual basis with a patient right. and doctor. Because I know just from my own just personal sort of anecdotal evidence of, of seeing what's on the news and reading the newspapers and all of that, I mean, statins are something that is in my consciousness, you know, because there seems to have been quite a concerted campaign to get people to take them. Yeah, um, so that campaign is all based on evidence. Um, it's all based on the research that has been done. We do know they benefit people. Um, they do prevent your risk of having a heart attack, which is why the NICE guidelines stand for where they are. Right. So why wouldn't you take them then? 
there's no reason not to take them if you've been offered them and prescribed them. You're, the choice to go on a statin is made between you and your doctor and it's based on your cardiovascular risk. If you have a 10% risk of developing a heart attack or stroke in the next five years, that's the time they would consider starting you on a statin. However, you do have the choice to consider either taking a low-dose statin or holding off and maybe doing lifestyle changes in the first instance. A statin will never take away from those lifestyle changes. So if you do smoke, we would suggest you stop. Right. If you do have a high saturated fat diet, that you reduce that. Despite taking a statin, if you don't make the lifestyle changes around it, yeah. you don't reap the benefits of it either. Because that's often the thing, isn't it? If you give somebody something which you say will improve their chances of extending their life, they might think, oh, that's all right then. I'll just keep taking these and I'll carry on with the, the, the behaviour that got me here in the first place. Yeah, unfortunately, some people do think that way. But we, as we would always say, lifestyle changes are the one thing you can change for yourself. And it costs absolutely nothing. It's not the easiest thing to do at times, um, changing a lifetime of habits. But it is beneficial for your health. And sometimes having that warning that you are at risk is what people need to make those changes. Yeah. If you are given statins, is it sort of for a limited time period to see whether something repairs itself? Or is it a lifetime thing? It's a lifetime thing. Is it? Yeah, unfortunately so. So the same with any medication. Once you've got high cholesterol, you're not going to be able to bring it down, take statins for a couple of years and then stop them again. It will come back. It will increase. You will see the difference from taking it pretty quickly. Mm. Um, usually within the first three months, they can, um, when you have your cholesterol rechecked, you should see a, a good difference in that if you do the lifestyle changes alongside it. And the benefits are there. I mean, I've seen patients myself who have not done taking the advice of their GP, mm. have stopped taking their statins and have ended up in hospital with heart attacks. So right. they, they do work. So um, you'd probably tell me that there's been hundreds and thousands maybe of heart attacks prevented from people taking these. Yeah, absolutely, hundreds and thousands. We so have. what is up with Dr. Malhotra then? What's wrong with him? That I do not know. Um, he has... He has his opinion. Um, he is a doctor. Where he gets his opinion from, I'm not sure. This article that was published today isn't based on any research, so it's not something I'd be happy to comment about his personal opinions. It seems interesting that he would be so anti them, though. I just can't imagine. He, we, I mean, we did ask him to come on, and he wouldn't. So, um, you know, that's the reason I'm asking you. Mm. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I can't say what, why he wouldn't... Um, Okay. And if you time. are uh, given statins, are you asked... Uh, do, do doctors make sure that you've changed your uh, behaviour or not? They do ask you to change your lifestyle. I but mean, it's, again, not, but it's, it's not contingent on that. It's not contingent. You can't, you know, we can't measure um, mm. measure how much people, you know, change their diet. Sure. We can only go by what, what a patient tells you. Right. Um, it's up to you to take some responsibility for changing your lifestyle um, alongside with your statins. Um, and, and as a medical person, what we would suggest is, you know, you work alongside your GP or your cardiologist um, take any medication that they have offered you. And also, if you have got questions and you're not sure or you're afraid of, of side effects, you know, have that discussion with them. That's what they're there for. They are experts in this. OK. And that's very kind. Thank you, Vanessa Smith, Senior Cardiac Nurse at the British Heart Foundation. Let's get some uh, real people talking on this. Let's get to your view. If so many people are on statins, there must be some of you listening now who are on statins. Uh, do you feel better? Do you feel worse? Uh, obviously, if you have changed your lifestyle or if you have not changed your lifestyle, uh, I'd like to know your stories, please. 0344 499 1000. What was it like when you went to the doctor, when the doctor told you to start taking them? And has your life immeasurably improved? Simple as that. Because uh, unfortunately, we can't get it from the horse's mouth. Uh, we asked Dr. Racine Malhotra to come on, uh, but he didn't manage to, uh, uh, to do so. I wonder what's going on uh, in the seat of democracy right now, uh, which is otherwise known as Parliament.
Oh, yeah, nothing's going on there. Uh, what's going on in the Supreme Court? Should we see what's going on there for a minute? In these proceedings, Her Majesty acted on the advice of her Prime Minister. Uh, that's what I wanted to say, Milady, uh, uh, as by way of introduction. Can I turn to the first main issue, and that is the facts of, of this case? Oh, here we go. Uh, and I can be brief on no, this can't. subject because we agree uh, with the analysis by the inner house uh, of the court of session. In particular, this is him being brief, uh, Lord by the Brody way. at paragraph 89 uh, and Lord Drummond. Yeah, Young that's enough of that. Yeah, see you later, Lord Panic. Apparently they've lost all the documents and mixed them all up. <laughs> Let's talk to Richard in Manchester instead and get some more sense out of him. Hello, Richard. Good, good morning, Mike. That's great, that. Yeah. You're holding the feet to the fire, Mike. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, do you know, I mean, whenever you hear a lawyer saying, I can be brief, you know that he's absolutely not going to be brief, you know. It adds another 10,000 onto the bill, doesn't it? I know, exactly. Yeah. Paid by the word, these guys. Good old Chucker Amuna has been, uh, been amusing me a little bit. When he came on the other day, and lots of people must have seen it, um, he said, oh, and Joe Swinson, our new Prime Minister. Well, I'll just repeat that. Doesn't it sound wonderful? Then, of course, the camera's gone to her, and she's, oh, giggle, 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 you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like a little show in the circus. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely nonsensical. I mean, when the Green Party say you've gone a bit far, you know you're in trouble. When Tom Brake uh, said about the uh, European Army, there's not going to be one. Look at look in the last few years. I mean, he must be a bit simple with respect. Well, I mean, I don't think it's that. I think he's being willfully uh, misleading, shall we say. Right. Because when well, he said there isn't... He basically, they're very careful about what they say, these people. He said there isn't one meaning there isn't one now, which is true, which does not mean there won't be one in the future. In the same way when I said to him, will that be in your manifesto? He said, oh, it's always been in our manifesto. That's not the same thing. No, quite. And Nick Clegg, he, he's now regretting whether he's on a million or two million with whoever he works for in California. Yeah, now. Facebook, yeah. He's regretting, regretting getting kicked out. And, uh, and Swinson, she's she just taken a, an opportunity to say that she will now be the big noise for the, uh, the, 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 the closing down of Parliament. It's just not true. It's a fantasy. I'll give her Nick Clegg's words to Nigel Farage. It's a fantasy, Nigel. There will be no army. And, of course, it's already been formed. Of course it has. Well, all you've got to look at is that bloke from Luxembourg, right, uh, whatever his name is, Xavier, um, the little jumped-up Prime Minister of the most effectively rich company inside the European Union, which collects all the money. The most benefit in the EU as a country is Luxembourg. Isn't that amazing? That amazing. And delay on. she came on, and it's a matter of fact, she wants a European army. The Hodstad came on the other day, and what was, what was his message to us? Wants an empire. Mm -hmm. You must all overturn the demographic decision of 17.4 million idiots who must be stopped now. He was saying we belong to the EU. Mike, yeah. that's, a, that's, that's like a... I, I just can't explain how I feel and how probably 40 million people in this country think. Yeah. <laughs> he, might as well have, he might as well have done it dressed as Darth Vader. <laughs> the empire strikes back uh, that would be great Richard thank you very much indeed we got lots more to do and much more time to do it in 0344 499 1000 we'll take you back to Lord Panic from time to time when he's found his papers uh, and we'll see what he's up to this is Talk Radio
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, even before uh, we were about to do this, uh, we were laughing because Lord Panic, who is, of course, the man who represents Gina Miller, a very well-named barrister, a very highly paid barrister, talking about two rulings, one in Scotland, uh, one in the High Court here in London. There was a bit of a mix-up earlier on, uh, which we're going to tell you about in a second. There's been another mix-up uh, already between uh, the main lawyers who seem to not be able to organise what can only be described as a party in a brewery. Let's have a listen to how it went. If the court please has the trial bundle in the Miller case, the court will see at tab number 51... Do we, have this page... Do we have this electronically? Yes, it's page 373. I hope the court also has it electronically. <clears throat> Well, we have no less than... I'm sorry about this, but there's always trouble with the documents in these cases, and we need to sort it out. Uh, we've got one, two, three, four, five different documents on a memory stick. Um, is it the hearing bundle? Yes. It's called, it's called the trial bundle. Trial bundle for hearing on 5th of September. Is it a hearing bundle or a trial bundle? the same document as uh, the president is referring to. It has uh, 68, 68 tabs, maybe more than 68. How many 68? pages it How many tabs oh, yes. has it got, Paddock? The volume goes up to uh, page 518. Come on, Paddock. Oh. Well, mine goes up to 591. Paddock, oh, as is mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it's... The, could I ask the court to turn to uh, tab number 51, which is page 373? Let's see whether it Are works. Are you sure yes. about that? <laughs> 373. Yes, that should be an interview on the Today programme, and it was an interview, Mr John Humphreys interviewing Jacob Rees-Mogg. I'm afraid not. It isn't. <laughs> well, then it's a different bundle. Oh, yeah. Did well, I don't think it, I think it may be the same bundle, but it's a, a different, different page. page. Yeah. What a bundle I'm of idiots. I'm very sorry about no, this. No, but it's not your... Panic. Of course it's not the President's fault. It, it, does, does the court have tab 51? No, of course I not. I do, but nothing happens yes. when no. I press on it. <laughs> but it's on paper. This is great. I, I'm terribly sorry, but it may be that uh, we <laughs> try to sort that out and we use paper for the moment. Yes, good idea, Lord Panic. Um, so, it looks as though these very highly paid lawyers uh, literally cannot put a piece of paper on top of another piece of paper in the right order. It looks as though, despite all of the money that they've got, all of the education that they have, and all of the privilege that they have obviously brought with them into the Supreme Court, uh, nobody knows what on earth is going on. When they do know what's going on, we'll go back to them. Brilliant, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. I didn't know it was going to be quite as funny as this, or I might have gone down there myself. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We are now, though, uh, in the company of Dr Philip Lee, uh, who is now with the Liberal Democrats. He's down at the Bournemouth Conference. Uh, Dr Philip, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. I don't know whether you heard um, our last caller there talking about Nick Clegg and talking about the Lib Dems, who do have a bit of a propensity um, to see an open door and hurl themselves out through it, thinking that they're suddenly going to be in power. I mean, God, God forbid that a political party would want to seek power, Mike. I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly. They do, um, but, they, look, they, I mean, but you know, you know uh, go back uh, to your yes. constituencies and prepare for government. I mean, you'll remember that speech, which was made absolutely. before, before no. you were a Lib Dem. No, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm pleased, proud to be down here looking at the sea. Uh, it's nice to be by the seaside, Mike, and at a party conference that's 
been just so friendly. It's it's actually democratic. It's unusual for me to be at a political conference that actually has <laughs> democracy in action. I was going to ask and, you about that. I, I mean, what is the difference between a Tory party conference and a Lib? Because Lib Dem conferences, it, it, they're a bit batty, aren't they? Um, no, uh, actually, that's not true. Uh, the... Look, I mean, there are nice people, friends in the Conservative Party. It's not that suddenly I've joined a party where all the, the nice people are. But you know what? Um, I've been quite overwhelmed by the reception I've received here. It's been genuinely warm. And I heard you say lots of Liberal Democrats have a problem with me. It's, it really isn't, but that's the nature of media, Mike. You're part of it. It gets magnified. Well, the head, um, the of, the, the head of the Lib Dems LG, Well, didn't the head of the Lib Dems LGBT committee yeah. resign? Yeah, she did. She, yeah. she has done. And right. uh, she's made accusations that are complete, are complete bollocks. I mean, what can I do about it? Well, I suppose I read your, um, your, your, your answer to the, to the people who called you homophobic. But what it tells me is not that you're homophobic, Philip, but that the Liberal Democrats are not very liberal and not very democratic because they've looked at what you've done and looked at how you voted in the past and declared unilaterally from the LGBT uh, chair that you are a homophobe. Yeah, no, and on a personal level, obviously, I... I think um, they're wrong, I'm by the way. ...by that. Um, we, 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 um, we live in an age, unfortunately, where people assert things without an evidence base and they jump to conclusions um, because it fits a particular agenda. That's, that's, and that just doesn't just apply to, the, to people in the Lib Dems. It applies to all, all political parties. I mean, fundamentally, I, I, I'm quite proud of the fact that I put public health first in 2013, I think it was, and I was trying to protect vulnerable groups um, from uh, a challenge around uh, the transmission of blood-borne viral illness. It's, it's quite technical, all of this, mm. but the motivation at all times, Mike, was putting patients first. I'm a practicing doctor, and I want to be able to care for people irrespective sure. of where they come I, from. Listen, I, 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 I saw what uh, you said you know, in, in explanation, and I was totally convinced by it. I, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that you, your motive, motives were, were, were right and good and You're going to vote for me, Mike? Uh, You're going to vote for me? I don't vote. Are you, are you changing? Are you no. becoming a Liberal Democrat? No, you see, I'm one of those people who actually has a conscience, <laughs> and I believe that to be truly neutral in politics, you don't vote because I can't do my job if I vote for somebody. And so I don't do it. And I didn't vote in the referendum, even though everybody thinks I voted to leave the European Union. And I've never, I've only voted once in my life when I was 19 at the University of Bath, believe it or not, for a bloke called Martin Baber, who stood against Chris Patton and lost. I even campaigned for him. He was a Labour Party member. But that surprised you. Yep, 1992. No, yeah. God, no, okay. way before that. Well, look, no, I mean, I think that, that's fine. Oh, well, I, I thought you were younger than that. No, right? 1979, um, I, actually. Look, <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. The, the reality is, is, that it, 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 is, is, is that that's the first election I can remember, actually, 1979. Yeah. Um, but the, the reality is, is that when you join a political party of any colour or persuasion, there's a, there's a degree of compromise in it. There are broad churches. This was the same for me being a member of the Tory party for 27 years. The idea that I agree with everything in that time um, clearly isn't, it's just not, I don't think your listeners would believe me if I said that. And so there's always going to be these issues. But actually, I mean, yesterday I did a criminal justice fringe meeting because I've been a justice minister before. And I gave the speech I would have given if I was still a Tory at, um, in two weeks' time at their conference. And actually the room was much more with me 
than they will be if I would have been if I'd have been in the in, in the Conservative Party conference next uh, in, in a fortnight. Which uh, which only which only Brexit confirms me, though, Philip. Something which. But that only confirms what many Tory MPs have said to me about you before you left to go to join the Lib Dems. Uh, and I'm, I'm not telling tales yeah. out of school here. They yeah. said, well, Philip hasn't really been a Tory for quite a long time. And probably you're well suited to the Lib Dems. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually think that the idea that the Conservative Party is the party that I joined in 1992, I mean, it clearly isn't. And uh, people defining someone's politics on the basis of your view on your membership or not of a supranational organisation is beyond parody. Um, I retain liberal conservative values. I just don't think they inhabit the Conservative Party leadership anymore. OK. Now, just before we go on, I've been asked to apologise for, for your using of the B word, which I know that you Lib Dems love to put on T-shirts and things, but um, apparently we're not allowed to say it this time of the day without saying sorry. So we can apologise. Uh, I apologise for, for use of... I don't mean, I, I, I don't mean I, Brexit either. I not mean to offend anyone, but the, <laughs> I, 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 I just... I, I think the... The point is, 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 is that, you know, it's, it's, it's quite difficult holding views and dealing with difficult issues in politics in an age um, that we live in where everyone can communicate instantly, whether they're informed or not. And, um, you know, I stand true to my word that uh, in all of this, indeed, actually, in virtually every action I've had as a politician, I've been putting the people first in my judgment on the basis of the evidence in front of me. And when it comes to public health as a, a medical professional, I have a responsibility to do the best by my patients. And, but, but of course, uh, you haven't put the I've people done, first when it comes. To, you haven't put the people first when it comes to having a by-election. And I know you've been asked about this before, and I know that you've got an answer for it. Come on. And there may well be a general election yeah. at some point before the end of the year. But not oh, come on! You were elected yeah. to be a Conservative member. By what sort of majority did you win over the Lib Dems? Right. What was yes, it? Yes, I was elected at the 2017... Oh, I, I honestly can't remember. Well, I'm got sure about you can hazard a guess. Votes. I think they got about four or five. Right, so you won't win as a Lib Dem in that constituency? Um, well, look, that's the future, and I think if anybody making any predictions on where people's allegiance to party is at the moment, is, is that's a fool's errand, because is I think it? things are really fluid. Mm. But, look, not, I was elected to represent... <laughs> I, I, I was elected to represent the best interests of Bracknell constituency as a trustee, not as a delegate. And when you're privy um, to confidential conversations with businesses, when you know from your medical knowledge and experience that there are medicine difficulties already in the system in terms of accessing medicines, it would not be right of me not to act upon the knowledge that I have, I'm privileged to have, in the best interest of my constituents. Right. And to be blank... You, will have, you be, will have seen the statement blank. put out by the, is, the, the people that supply half the insulin yeah. to the country saying there won't be a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah, but do you already go and ask them about the supply of Kepra across the country? No, but they the, su the supply of like insulin, which is something that people you know have talked Kepra about. Is? No, I don't. I'm talking yeah. about insulin. The people like you who it, it, said the, that there would be problems it, with insulin, it turns out there won't be problems with insulin. There are going to be issues with the supply of medicines if we no deal Brexit, okay? And I have an amendment successfully attached to the trade bill um, in last July, which was holed up in the Lords, to that effect to try to prevent that. My point is, is that going back to sort of representing my constituents, if I think in my judgment as the elected Member of Parliament in the interest of all of them, whether they voted for me or not, that, this, that there isn't a Brexit that's in their best interests or indeed in the interest of the country, I see it as my responsibility to act accordingly. 
Now, if that means I cease to be the Member of Parliament for whatever reason, then so be it. But I do think, whether people supported Remain or Brexit or whatever, that people actually want that type of approach in politics more. They want people to be honourable. Well, surely if you think that that's the case... Yeah, but surely if you think that's the case, Philip, with all due respect, you should Mm -hmm. have an election, a by-election, and give them the opportunity to give you their confidential vote and to give you their vote of confidence. That's a judgment call, and my judgment is people want us to sort out Brexit first. I don't actually think. Brexit well, you now work. For, you now work for a party election. which says that Brexit will be reversed if you get into power. So you're not going to sort Brexit out. You're going to prevent it from oh, happening. Oh, oh, what's quite clear, and I'm very happy to stand on this policy. Absolutely, just over the moon about the clarity. If we secure a democratic mandate at an election for a policy, then yes, the policy will be to revoke. What's quite interesting, by contrast, is that people are taking a referendum result which was not about no-deal Brexit, it was all about how it was going to be the easiest deal in history, and they're using that as a democratic mandate to deliver no-deal Brexit. The stark contrast is at least the Liberal Democrats are bothering to get the mandate from the people. The no-dealers aren't. Okay. So you represent a constituency that voted to leave... Right. Uh, Apparently, you, they, again, you, that gets asserted as if it's fact, and you can't well, actually. Well, they that, voted fifty-two percent to leave. That's a fact. According um, to a academic analysis, it's not according no, to the actual. Well, I've got, I've got, Mike. I've got, I've got the number in front of me. I can also help you out with it's your specific. It's not in the public domain, so you can't. Mark. I can you also, I number. can also help you out with this number, which is fifty-eight point eight percent of the vote, which you garnered as a conservative, three point one percent up over the Lib Dems, who had seven point five percent of the vote. Yeah, yeah. Thirty-two thousand eight hundred eighty-two against four thousand. 186. I'll make a bet with you right now. When you stand in Bracknell as the Lib Dem, you won't win. That may be true, but I go back to my point. Do I think, in my judgment, that Brexit in any form is in the best interest of the Bracknell constituency? No, I don't. Okay. And so you don't, agree with, pro- well, you don't agree with the voters? That's fine. So you shouldn't stand then? Well, no, but they, no, but the point is, is that they're free to get rid of me if they don't Only if there's an election, but you won't give yeah. them one. Which you voted against be. it. Look, you and I know, Mike, there's going to be a general election at some point, probably in the next six months or so, and and I think that's going to happen, at which point people are free to choose to support a Member of Parliament for Bracknell that reflects the views that you assert is the majority view in Bracknell, and that's how a democracy works. It is. Very nice to talk to you. Dr Philip Lee, thank you very much indeed. Former Conservative, now Lib Dem MP uh, for Bracknell, which voted to leave and voted Tory. Those are the facts. It's that simple. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.